There are people every week that still tweet you, that still come up to you and say, hey, we're still rooting for you. We're still behind you. They have no reason whatsoever to. We stink. But they care, and they still want to win, and they still want you to be great. That's why. Those people aren't getting paid. We're getting paid handsomely. That's why. And that's... That's who I feel the most bad for is our fans and the people who care so deeply in this city and the people who love it and who truly want it to be great. And it's not. And that sucks as a player. I mean, I was a fan. I grew up in Wisconsin uh, where obviously you watch the Green Bay Packers and win, lose, or draw, you were wearing that jersey and you were watching the game. Um, and I, I just, I've never understood the fact that we're athletes getting paid an immense amount of money to play a child's game. Uh, and there's people all over that support us and pour their energy in. And I'll, I'll never understand how you could possibly not give everything you got. Friday edition of PFTPM. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here with you. Miles Simmons is going to join us in a while as we try to figure out the next destination of J.J. Watt. Yes, I was wondering earlier this morning, Shereen, what are we going to talk about at 5 p.m. Eastern on the first Friday after the end of the season? I thought it was going to be the Pouncey twins retiring, but we got something a little more significant today, don't we? Yeah, the Pouncey Twins kind of took a uh, back seat to Mr. J.J. Watt, Mike. So, uh, yeah, we have something to talk about. This is usually the the lightest week of news, and we've had some news to talk about this week. So it should pick up from here. Yeah, the Pouncey Twins have to be irritated, to say the least. Their moment in the sun lasted for about, I don't know, an hour and a half before we got the news. Straight from J.J. Watt, and here's the video he posted earlier today that let everyone know that after 10 seasons, he would be leaving the Houston Texans. I have sat down with the McNair family and I have asked them for my release and we have mutually agreed to part ways at this time. Uh, I came here 10 years ago as a kid from Wisconsin who'd never really been to Texas before. And now I can't imagine my life without Texas in it. Um, The way that you guys have treated me Besides draft night, I mean, you guys booed me on draft night. But uh, every day after that, you treated me like family. And I truly feel like you're my family. Um, Since that day, I have tried to do everything in my power to work and earn your respect and try and make you proud on and off the field. I'm excited and looking forward to a new opportunity. And I've been working extremely hard. Um, But at the same time, it it is always tough to move on. And uh, I just want you guys to know that I love you. I appreciate you. I appreciate the McNair family for giving me, uh, drafting me and giving me my first opportunity in the NFL. Thank you, Houston. I love you. And there it is. And he said there would be no press conference. He wanted the fans to hear it straight from him. I I just wonder... I wonder who didn't want the press conference because 10 years, Shireen, you would think there would be a gathering. And I know it's different in a pandemic, but you would think there would be some scenario where Cal McNair, Nick Casario, David Culley, maybe a little warm up routine from Jack Easterby, maybe a quick five to 10 minute set from him just to get the crowd, you know, comfortable. 
and have a have a have a real press conference. Isn't that amazing that they didn't do that? Yeah, it's it's truly unbelievable. You know, I grew up in the Houston area and I have friends and family who are season ticket holders and you look at all the players who have departed Houston over the last two years, from Garrett Cole to George Springer to Russell Westbrook to James Harden to DeAndre Hopkins and now to J.J. Watt, and J.J. Watt, no doubt, is the biggest of all those names to leave, and there is no press conference. We don't get to hear from them, and you do wonder if it's from the Texans. The Texans have a new GM. They have a new head coach. They haven't coached or been the GM of J.J. Watt since he's been there, so maybe it was part of that. Part of it was probably also Cal McNair, and I assume Janice McNair would have been there too. In the statement, it says that was her favorite player, so I assume she would have been there, and I also assume that they didn't want to answer any questions about uh, Deshaun Watson and the future of the organization and where it lies right now, Mike, because there are a lot of unanswered questions in Houston right now. But there are ways to deal with that. And if you have a good relationship with the media, if you have a a great PR director who has the – oh, wait, they fired her. If you have somebody somebody who can, you know, just talk to people ahead of time and say, we want this day to be about J.J. Watt out of respect to him. And I I just – I'm curious whether or not J.J. Watt didn't want it. I, I wonder whether or not he's at his wit's end, Shireen, with the organization. We saw him tweet last week in response to the firing of the equipment manager by presumably Jack Easterby. And it's possible that J.J. Watt's got the same mindset right now that Deshaun Watson has, which is simply get me the hell out of here. And you go back, Mike, to the middle of the season when he had the argument with Bill O'Brien and others in the organization, and the next thing you know, Bill O'Brien is gone. I think that's how much the organization thought of J.J. Watt, that when he got in the argument with Bill O'Brien, that, that he was gone. So that, to me, was a signal at that point that J.J. Watt's days in Houston were numbered, and as it turned out, they were. And, you know, you expressed at the trade deadline that perhaps the Texans may look to trade him somewhere at the trade deadline. They didn't, so they didn't get anything for him, and they cut him, and now he gets to pick where he wants to go, and he gets ahead of free agency, Mike. Yeah, and look, they weren't going to bring him back at a $17 million salary. It was not going to happen. We're going to talk about that more coming up. Let's hear a little bit more, though, from J.J. Watt, his press conference from Week 16 where it was becoming more and more clear he was exasperated with the effort or lack thereof of the individuals who are around him on that roster. Here he is. You can't go out there and you can't work out. You can't show up on time. You can't practice. You can't want to go out there and win. You shouldn't be here because this is a privilege. It's the greatest job in the world. You get to go out and play a game. And if you can't care enough, even in week 17, even when you're trash, when you're four and 11, if you can't care enough to go out there and give everything you've got and try your hardest, that's bullshit. That was a very, very inspiring and motivating effort from J.J. Watt, and it was obvious he was becoming frustrated, to say the least, with what was going on. And we already knew, I think, he wasn't going to be back. We knew that this was going to be a relationship that ended. And what surprised me, and I'm going to go ahead and jump right into it, Shereen, It surprised me that they let him go without trying to trade him. It would have been difficult, but 33 days in advance of free agency, he gets that head start. 
They didn't try to go to him and say, look, we have you under contract for one more year. We'd like to work something out where maybe we get a sixth or a seventh round pick and you agree to a reduced salary and we find the team and we'll, we'll, we'll contact whoever you want. We'll let your agent set it up. We just like to, we'd like to get something in return for what we're giving up here. Otherwise we're going to wait until March 17 to release you. Teams do that all the time. Last year, the Panthers released tight end Greg Olson right after the Super Bowl. They held on to Cam Newton into late March because they thought maybe they could get something for him as he was entering the last year of his contract. That kind of surprised me. And, you know, at a time when there isn't a whole lot of goodwill floating around the Texans organization, that probably is something that we could look at and say, hey, they did the guy a favor. They did the guy a solid. They did the guy something that they didn't have to do. And uh, you, you don't see that from a lot of teams because teams have their contractual rights and teams try to turn them into anything. That sixth-round pick could have become a Hall of Famer. I mean, Tom Brady was a sixth-round pick. I know it's rare that that happens, but those picks have value, and I'm just surprised they didn't try to, to flip the remaining year of the contract into something and instead gave him that head start on free agency. But are you really surprised, Mike? I mean, we are talking about the Houston Texans, right? Well, uh, yeah, look, I, as we've established, whenever there's a decision that they can make that is not the right decision, that is the decision they will make. But it does engender some goodwill with J.J. Watt. And who knows? Maybe J.J. Watt made it clear to them, you're going to let me go now or I'm going to use my social media platforms to just hammer you repeatedly until you do. Because I know and you know you're not going to carry a $17 million salary under my name going into a new league year that quite possibly will have a dramatically reduced salary cap. So it was at some level in their interest if J.J. Watt made it clear that he was not going to be publicly quiet like the other high-profile Texan who wants out of Houston, Deshaun Watson, has chosen to be. Watson has handled his business behind the scenes with no direct statement or plea to be traded. Maybe J.J. Watt and maybe that tweet from last week was just a taste of what J.J. Watt was going to do if they didn't let him out of Houston. And it's not like any Texans fans would have been upset with him. The Texans fans understand what a dysfunctional mess it is right now in Houston. Cal McNair spoke to just a couple of reporters, I think Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport, and he said this. And uh, uh, Well, this, this is a Deshaun Watson. I'm going to pivot to Deshaun Watson since we're talking about him. Um There's a lot of misinformation out there. I'll leave it at that. That's what Cal McNair said about Deshaun Watson. Today, we want to focus on J.J. Deshaun is our quarterback. He is a Texan. We expect him to remain a Texan, and we'll leave it at that. And, Shereen, that that amplifies the point you made earlier. No matter what they may have done to try to make a press conference only about J.J. Watt, there was no way this was going to be only about J.J. Watt. This truly hangs over the organization, Mike, uh, the Deshaun Watson situation, and they're going to bungle that some way. And, you know, I would love to give the Texans credit for this. I hope it truly was just doing the right thing for J.J. Watt. Mike, he has meant so much to that city, so much to that organization, but so much to the city as much as the organization. It's why he won the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, raised over $40 million for Hurricane Harvey relief. And my family was in Hurricane Harvey. I know what that meant for the city of Houston and the surrounding areas. That was huge. He has meant a ton to this organization. And, and no one will replace J.J. Watt ever again. He's the greatest defensive player, perhaps the greatest player 
and the organization's history so far, and it is a 19-year history, so it's not like that long, Mike. But I, I want to believe that the Texans did the right thing by J.J. Watt, and that's all it was. But, you know, the cynic in me, knowing the Texans' history, and I realize Bill O'Brien is gone, but some of the other key players are still there, says they didn't do the right thing in trying to get a draft pick because you just go back and you look at all the trades that they've bungled in their history, from Dwayne Brown to Jadavion Clowney to uh, DeAndre Hopkins to giving up a draft pick for Duke, third-round pick for Duke Johnson. I mean, this is an organization that hasn't proved that it knows how to draft, how to compile draft picks, or any of that, Mike. They've just they bungled everything over the last few years, and as we talked about, it's the worst organization in the NFL and perhaps the worst organization in sports right now. I was on radio earlier this afternoon, 106.7, the fan in D.C., and the, the, the question came up as it relates to the timeline for a Deshaun Watson decision. We had a question earlier this week about the timeline, and that presumes that they know what's good for them. I don't know that they know what's good for them. And and, <laughs> yeah. and that's I, I'm having such a hard time with this J.J. Watt decision because was it good for them to cut him with 33 days to go until free agency, or was it good for them to hold on to him and try to work out some sort of a trade? We've heard nothing to suggest that they tried in advance to work something out. I just think they were afraid that J.J. was going to come at them with everything he had if they didn't let him go, and they blinked. They didn't want to get into a fight with Captain America because here's the other side of it, too. Yeah, yeah, J.J. Watt gets a, an advance start on free agency, but until we know what the salary cap's going to be for 2021, it's going to be hard for him to get full value because he's going to fall into that group of veteran players yeah. who aren't star level, who are going to get squeezed if the cap goes down. So until we know what the cap is going to be, you can't peg what J.J. Watt's value is going to be. He's a lot like the Indomitian Sue conundrum. I had a GM tell me, look, last year Sue got $8 million. You get Sue on the market this year, he's not getting $8 million. Not Not just because he's a year older. The, the, the Indomitian Sue from 2020 on the market this year is getting a lot less because those are the guys who are going to get hurt by a flat or likely depressed salary cap. So... Those 33 days may just be a lot of talking and visiting and and just general concepts and and identification of who's interested, but ultimately no hard offers until teams have a better idea of what the cap is going to be. And when you look, Mike, at what J.J. Watt has said specifically publicly he was fed up with this organization. There is no question about that. Throughout the year, all of his comments, I mean, he was even short in one press conference with John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, our friend who we know good and well, that J.J. has a lot of respect for. So he was fed up with that organization going back into the middle of the season. I think he was fed up with losing. It is not going to surprise me if at some point we hear that J.J. Watt went above Cal McNair even to Cal McNair's mother, Janice McNair, and appealed to her and said, Janice, do me a solid here. I want to be cut. I want to go try to find another team. Let me go now. And Janice ordered this uh, to happen. It's not going to surprise me at all, Mike, if that happened and the organization did do him a solid. But he might have gone to Janice McNair above everybody else in that organization to ask for this to be done. 
Well, you know, I joked when it first happened, hey, all that Deshaun Watson has to do is ask to be released because apparently that's the way you get out. Don't ask for a trade. Ask to be released yeah. and you get what you want. And look, I posted a tweet earlier today and I, it was part, part sociological experiment and part expression of absolute yeah. fact. Watson has gotten crickets in response to his request for a trade. Watt asks to be released and they immediately let him go. There is, I, look, I, I know it's different situations it's apples and oranges it's a a young ascending quarterback and an aging descending defensive lineman who they're likely going to cut but the idea that they did something they didn't have to do for what and could have tried to trade him and could have squatted on him for another month and chose not to that's the distinguishing characteristic for what they did something they didn't have to do for watson They've given no indication that they're willing to do something they don't have to do. Yeah, no question about it, Mike. And we'll see how the Deshaun Watson situation plays out. I have a feeling they're going to bungle that, too, with the people I've talked to within the organization. They're going to sit on Deshaun Watson. They are now telling teams, we're not trading Deshaun Watson. He's going to hold out. This is going to go beyond the the draft, and they're not going to get what they could have otherwise gotten for him. I, I believe that's going to happen. I have no doubt in my mind that's going to happen, that they're going to have a standoff, and this is going to come to a head after Deshaun Watson holds out. And at that point, Mike, once you once you pass draft time, teams have their quarterbacks, they're set. What are you going to do at quarterback how are you going to get this tr- guy traded for what he should go for, which at a minimum, as we've said, is three first-round draft picks? And, you know, the talk has been that he's very serious about this. This isn't a bluff. This isn't huffing and puffing. He is indeed going to never play for the Texans again and will hold out into the regular season. And if he has to give back money, so be it. He's a guy who comes from nothing. He's not afraid of having to write a check back to the Texans because he still will have a lot more than he otherwise would have had. And uh, his mind was made up. And, and I think that's why he waited to use the magic phrase, please trade me, because he knew what the implication was. And he knew that if he did it, he was locked into a course of action that there would be no turning back from. And I respect the fact that he's willing to do that and isn't going to be the guy who shows up and just decides to be a problem and decides to say my ankle hurts or my back hurts or I have a pulled hamstring or I can't practice today or I'm just going to be a problem until you trade me. He's not wired that way. And I'm not passing judgment against the guys who choose that path. I just think that for him, if it's more comfortable, if it's better, if it's the right thing for him to do to just never show up again, then then that's his decision, that's his choice, and he's a big boy. He understands the consequences of that, and it sounds like he's willing to take them. Boy, this has been crazy, Mike, how far this organization has fallen in such a short amount of time. You think about all the players they had on this team, from Jadavion Clowney to DeAndre Hopkins to J.J. Watt, Deshaun Watson wants out. I mean, they had a real chance to, to win a championship, and they failed to get it done, which is one reason that J.J. Watt's out of there now, Mike. If you lose to Sean Watson, you've got even less of a chance to do that over the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. And if anything, the Texans happy about the Russell Wilson fiasco that unfolded most of the week because it did move the Deshaun Watson situation off of the front burner. But it's still simmering 
it's still at a light boil, and it's not going to take much for it to completely bubble over, and we know that's going to happen at some point as the offseason continues to unfold. As the program continues to unfold, we're going to take a break. Miles Simmons is going to join us, and we are going to have a draft, three-person weave of the next destinations of J.J. Watt now that he's a free agent. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. T.J. Watt making the call to his big brother, J.J., come to Pittsburgh. Come to Pittsburgh. All right, we'll see if that's what happens. What we're going to do in this segment, Miles Simmons is going to join us, and here he is. Shereen Williams, Miles, and I are going to have a draft, kind of a an impromptu, let's figure out the possible destinations for J.J. Watt. Miles, I'll let you go first, Shereen second, me third. Let's jump right into it. First pick by you. Most likely destination, best destination. I, I, let's just say best destination, not most likely, but best destination for J.J. Watt. Well, I, I love that you came to me first because you made it pretty easy for me, especially coming off of that T.J. Watt gift. I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. I, I think that it makes a lot of sense for him to go to Pittsburgh to play with both of his brothers. Look, the Watts seem to be very tight-knit as a family. And I think coming off of the year that he had, Coming off of what everything is right now, where you don't necessarily know what the salary cap is going to be for this year at this point, maybe he takes a little bit of a depressed salary to go to Pittsburgh, says, oh, look, I'm going to have the year of my life when I'm playing with my brothers, and I'm going to bet on myself that I'm going to play really well. And then maybe next year when the salary cap is more at a level where we think it is, because we're not necessarily in a pandemic then I'm going to get more money again. So I think that he could do a lot of good things in Pittsburgh if he goes there. Maybe not the best chance to win, but playing with your brothers, it's kind of a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I think it would make a lot of sense for him. Miles, if I could, I would go Pittsburgh with my first, Pittsburgh with my second, and Pittsburgh with my third because I think that's where he ends up. As I tweeted earlier today, I think he wants to play with his brothers Blood is thicker than Gatorade, maybe. I was trying to think of a cute little folksy saying there, but whatever it is, I think he's going to end up playing at least one year with his brother. And and players are delusional as well, Mike. They think that they can win anywhere. But since you've picked Pittsburgh, Miles, I'm going to go with the Packers. And that makes sense, too, because it's 133 miles from his hometown to Green Bay, where he could play for the Packers. He played at Wisconsin. He would have an immediate chance to win, something we know he wants to do and hasn't done a lot of at Houston. He's played in eight postseason games, went three and five, never passed the divisional round. And guess what? They could use another pass rusher. That makes a lot of sense to me, Mike, that he would go to the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, I agree with both of you, and those would be my first two picks. I just want to say one thing about the Steelers because the cap is going to be an issue. It does feel inevitable that we'll see J.J. Watt in black and gold, and it seems natural that he'd be in that uniform. It's so jarring at times to see a player who leaves one team, goes to another, and you see him in that new uniform, and you're like, something's not right here. I remember the first moment we actually saw Tom Brady in Buccaneers colors, and I, even though I knew for months we were going to see it, my brain didn't want to process it. I can see J.J. Watt in that black helmet with the logo on one side and, and just fitting right into what the Steelers do and what they are. I worry about the salary cap. 
TJ Watt's status is not not cemented long-term there. And there was a weird report a couple of weeks ago, although it was debunked by folks in Pittsburgh, that TJ was upset about something at the end of the season and skipped out on something. Although my understanding is that that was a, a, an incorrect report. It just makes you wonder, is there frustration there that he hasn't gotten his contract yet? He's put four seasons in and has yet to be paid by the Pittsburgh Steelers. But when they got Derek, the fullback, last year, I thought they're thinking ahead to the possibility that J.J. is going to be available. And so the Steelers would make a ton of sense, as would the Packers in J.J.'s home state of Wisconsin. I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's go jump on the the Tommy bandwagon. He could be the Indomitian Sioux replacement in Tampa Bay. And between Watt and Sue, Watt and Sue, I don't know. It's... I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, so Watt's going to sell a lot more jerseys than Sue. Not that you need to sell jerseys or tickets now that you have Tommy, but I think that if the Steelers and the Packers are out of the question, I'm intrigued by the fact that he could join the Buccaneers. Okay, I, I like the fact that you're talking about Sue in that area, and I don't know who's better either, but I'll tell you what, playoff Sue is a monster, and he was kind of a monster in the Super Bowl too. So once Sue gets to that level, it's like, all right, I'm going to turn it on. Um, the next pick I would go with is probably the Titans. And I'll say it because the Titans definitely need to improve their defense. Their defense was especially bad on third down. They allowed over 50% of third down conversions to be completed. And, and that is just something that you can't do if you want to be a real contending team. So if you want to get your pass rush better, yes, that could definitely happen with J.J. Watt. But also it would give him an opportunity to go against Houston two times a year. And I don't know how much jj watt is a vengeful person but if it's me i don't know i kind of would probably like to be able to see houston two times a year and then kind of stick it to him a little bit so i would say the titans would be next on my list yeah miles i had the titans on my list of teams too simply because mike frable coached him was the defensive coordinator in houston for a while and they were last in the nfl in sacks with 19 so that does make some sense there too I'm going to go with the Ravens uh, with, with my next pick, and he can reunite with uh, former Texas defensive coordinator and defensive line coach Anthony Weaver. I think he likes playing for Anthony Weaver. They're in need of a pass rusher, as we know. Matthew Jadon, Judon, uh, Yannick Ngakwe are free agents. Derek Wolf's a free agent. They need some pass rush help. They seemingly have the cap room to get him there. Um, he'd get to face his brothers uh, twice a year. I don't know if he would like that part of it, Mike, but Baltimore sounds like a, a solid destination because they also have a chance perhaps to win immediately. You know, PointsBet put together odds for the next destination of J.J. Watt, and some of the obvious teams we've discussed are on there. One team that wasn't even listed, though, the Indianapolis Colts, and that's going to be my next pick because if you're going to stay in the division, why not go to the team – it feels like it's the most loaded. We don't know who the quarterback's going to be, but assuming they get somebody who is, you know, a befitting that great offensive line, already potent defense, he just makes a strong defense even better. He's at a point in his career where he, you know, put him in a rotation. He doesn't have to be on the field all the time. He, he's going to stay healthier that way. But if you want a team that has routinely bedeviled the Houston Texans, it's the Indianapolis Colts. And if you want to stick it to the Texans the way Brett Favre wanted to stick it to the Packers, the Colts are the team to join. 
they could be the team to join. But then I think there's a, probably if you want to win, there could be some better options within the conference. And I will go with here the Buffalo Bills because they definitely need some help in terms of helping their run defense. They could use some help with another pass rusher as well. But then apparently Stefan Diggs is now going on the recruiting trail because just before I got on this call with you guys here, uh, Stefan Diggs was tweeting at J.J. Watt saying, just hear me out real quick, big fellas. So I think if you want to Team, look, this could be one to do it with. And I think if the Chiefs want, excuse me, the Bills want to be able to catch the Chiefs, right? They've have talked about guys from their own organization. Brandon Bean did it. So there is definitely still a gap between where the Bills are right now and where the Chiefs are in the AFC. I think that J.J. Watt could be one piece on defense, a good veteran piece that can help you close that gap a little bit. Now, again, how much is he going to help you all that much? I don't know based on what his performance could be, but I think it would be fun to see him on that Bills defense. Miles, I'm going to go with the Seahawks with my last pick. They seem to love ex-Texans. They traded for Dwayne Brown and Jadavion Clowney. They don't have to make a trade for J.J. Watt. They need a pass rush. Uh, they have no cap space, as we know. They would have to cut Carlos Donlop probably to do that. That would free up $14 million. But, Mike, frankly, I'm not sure that J.J. Watt is an upgrade on Carlos Dunlop. So I'm not sure that might be where he's headed. But if you're just throwing teams out there that have a need for pass rushes, if they could somehow figure out a way to fit him under the cap, I know they would like to add him. Yeah, and, and you wonder if this is going to be the kind of move that will prompt Russell Wilson to go knock on John Schneider's door and say, hey, why don't we go get him? I want to be involved in personnel. This guy's available. Let's go get him. So that's a good thought, especially if they don't bring back Dunlap. Shereen, I'm, I'm surprised because if I would have had to guess as to what your third pick was going to be, <laughs> I would have thought, I mean, we played the sound earlier. What did J.J. Watts say? He's always going to be a Texas guy now. Well, there isn't a team in San Antonio yet. How do you not take the Dallas Cowboys. Demarcus Lawrence has already been lobbying on Twitter for J.J. Watt to join the Cowboys, and that would be a way to maybe stick it to the Houston Texans. I'm staying in the state. I'm going a few hours down the road, and I am going to go play for the Dallas Cowboys. So I'll go ahead and make that my pick. Even though I'm surprised none of us picked the Chiefs, and, and let's have a conversation about yeah. the Chiefs after this, I think the Cowboys make a lot of sense. My, my concern, though, is the Cowboys have been paper champions for so long. I, I just wonder if J.J. Watt is convinced that he really is going to be within within reaching distance of a championship by playing for the Cowboys. But let's let's. I want to get your thoughts on the Chiefs. I'll start with Miles. I, you know, this is a team there that, that that I think could use the 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 help in the rotation. Yes, you've got Chris Jones, you've got Frank Clark, but a presence like J.J. Watt on a team that is going to be salty, a team that's going to be motivated, a team that has an incredibly good offense. If you could get J.J. Watt for a bargain basement price, how could you say no to that? I would definitely not say no to that. And I think one of the interesting things about J.J. Watt's career at this point is, is he going to be a mercenary? Somebody like Chris Long, who toward the end of his career just started going places and winning rings, right? I mean, you saw Chris Long on the Patriots, and then Chris Long goes to the Eagles, and he's that pass rush specialist, but he really does make a difference. And I think when you can add somebody like that, who's a veteran presence, who has done so many good things, has over 100 sacks in his career, and you can add him 
into a team that is already pretty much championship ready, that can do nothing but help. I think he helps the locker room. He's already familiar with Tyron Matthew. They've been teammates. I, I just think that that could be a really good fit if that's someplace where he wants to go and he wants to say, hey, I'm ring chasing at this point in my career. And Miles, I'm surprised when I looked it up that he turns 32 in March. It seems like this guy's been around forever. But I think a place like Kansas City would really help him because he could be part of the rotation. He could play on third downs only. I think he played too many snaps for the Texans at where he is in his injury-plagued career. We know that. And, Mike, when you look at it, he had one sack in the final eight games for the Texans this year. I think he was used up. In the last five seasons, he has 26 and a half sacks, and that includes the 16 in 2018. He just hasn't been as dominant as he once was. We know that. He's missed 32 games over the past five seasons. I just think playing in a place like Kansas City would really benefit him from being in that rotation and not have to be the every down guy to get it done down after down after down, play after play after play, Mike. And we've talked so much this week about quarterbacks who are looking to engineer a destination, boost their legacy, get a championship. J.J. Watt doesn't have to ask for anything. No trade. He's already got has his release. He can go wherever he wants. The question is, who is going to want and points bet, as I mentioned earlier, put together the odds of the next destination for J.J. Watt. Let's take a look at that that list. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, to no surprise, are the team at the top of the stack at plus 140, plus 150. It's moved a little bit. I think it was plus 140, although I may be misremembering. 140, 150, they know who we mean. Then we get Tampa Bay and Green Bay at plus 400. So they're on track with what we were thinking Beyond that, you know, we didn't mention the Bears. We didn't mention the Patriots. I don't know that New England would be a good fit for him after dealing with Bill O'Brien. The Rams, Miles, you've got familiarity with the Rams. Let's talk about that for a second. You know, the Rams have been in that, we'll go get anybody, we're all in, and they don't have draft picks to use, at least not in the first round. Could you see the Rams making a play for J.J.? Sure. I think it would be interesting definitely to add him to that front line. I mean, you get six defensive player of the year awards basically between him and then Aaron Donald along that defensive front. Now, the Rams do have somebody like Michael Brockers. They have Sebastian Joseph Day on that front line, but they also now are going to have to figure out what they're going to do at edge rusher. Leonard Floyd is another free, is a free agent for them coming up in the in March. So, I think it definitely could be a fit. You, you think about Clay Matthews, who signed there in 2019. Uh, Eric Weddle signed there in 2019. So if you're looking at guys who are veterans, who are of that mold where I really want to come in there and win a championship, yeah, that definitely could work. And I think it would be kind of fearsome to have both Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt across that front line. And, Mike, I also had the Bears on my list, and I actually had them third and pivoted off of that. And the reason is his wife plays soccer for the Chicago Red Stars. And that just seemed – they've been up in Chicago. We saw a, a tweet not very long ago of him. It looked like he was in Chicago going out and getting pizzas. So they live up there part of the year. So that, to me, makes sense from that standpoint. But the reason I pivoted off of it – is that's the last thing they need. They need to spend some money on the offensive side of the ball. They don't necessarily need another pass rusher. But to me, Chicago does make sense for J.J. Watt. It maybe doesn't make as much sense for the Bears. And one of the realities of free agency, there's football sense and there's business sense. And bringing in J.J. Watt really does reflect a certain amount of 
business sense. He will sell jerseys. He will create buzz. He will be a great ambassador for the city. He'll make a connection with the city. And and that's where you get into the back and forth that potentially arises when you're talking about what the owner wants and what the football operations wants. And it could be, it could be that that maybe one of these teams that, you know, that isn't a shortlist Super Bowl favorite throws the kind of money at JJ Miles that that he just can't refuse. Yeah, if there are teams like that, I would say two would be maybe the Raiders and then the Browns. Because the Browns are supposed to have a lot of cap room. They are going to need somebody else opposite, probably, of Miles Garrett, who can really generate that pass rush. And that's something that I think that they want to do, especially because Olivier Vernon is going to be coming off a major injury going into next year. But if you look about the Raiders, too, I mean, they're in a place where they're trying so hard to catch Kansas City, and they desperately, desperately need to upgrade their defense. And I think if you think about J.J. Watt, he is of that mold where he's the football guy just somebody that you're just sure that John Gruden would love to have around and especially because he could maybe help bring up those young pass rushers like a Max Crosby like a Cleveland Furl who have kind of struggled on the outside especially Furl I mean he's just not necessarily lived up to that billing of being a top five pick that you would expect so I would not necessarily be surprised if they dropped their hat into that ring. But, Shereen, I don't know how really interested J.J. Watt would be in any one of those teams. Yeah, I had the Browns on my list too, Mike, simply because Olivier Vernon is leaving the team, and I think he would be a good influence for Miles Garrett. We know the Browns are interested in just about any free agent that comes on the market. I think he would help their defense, Mike. Yeah, it's going to be fun to see how it plays out. It's just another wrinkle in an offseason that has been chock full of intrigue, and we're not even a full week removed from the Super Bowl. Miles, thanks for some of your time. We're going to be back with more PFTPM when we discuss some issues that are still percolating in Jacksonville as it relates to Urban Meyer and the hiring of Chris Doyle. We'll talk about that next here. Trevor Lawrence had his pro day today, had to throw now because he needs surgery on his non-throwing shoulder, so he wanted to show what he could do. There were 17 teams there, including the Jacksonville Jaguars, who hold the first overall pick in the draft and are most likely to take him unless someone makes them an offer they cannot refuse. And it really is a different day in Jacksonville. The dibs on Trevor Lawrence Urban Meyer, the new head coach, a different feel, a different vibe. This is a team that was a bad call away from going to the Super Bowl just three years ago. That AFC Championship game, the fumble, the quick recovery by Miles Jack runs to the end zone. The officials blew it. They would have been up 17 points now with the Patriots. You never know. They're never, they're never out of a game, so maybe the Patriots still would have won. But the team has fallen so far to the point where they can rebuild with a great player like Trevor Lawrence. But – one thing Urban Meyer is learning, Shereen, you know, when, when you are the head coach of a major college program, you don't face the same type of media scrutiny that you do when you're the coach of an NFL team. The local market isn't as friendly. The national media is more quick to get involved and show up and start asking some tough questions. And you know, we saw it yesterday with the interrogation of Urban Meyer 
regarding the hiring of Chris Doyle, the former strength coach at Iowa who left under circumstances of allegations of racially charged comments and mistreatment of players. And there was a $1.1 million settlement, an investigation that seemed to implicate Chris Doyle, who denied any role in any sort of wrongdoing. Well, the Fritz Pollard Alliance, which praised the Jaguars for their search that led to the hiring of Urban Meyer and Trent Baalke, even though neither are minorities. The Fritz Pollard Alliance came out today with this statement at a time when the NFL has failed to solve its problem with racial hiring practices. It's simply unacceptable to welcome Chris Doyle into the ranks of NFL coaches. Doyle's departure from the University of Iowa reflected a tenure riddled with poor judgment and mistreatment of black players. His conduct should be disqualifying for the NFL as it was for the University of Iowa. Urban Meyer's statement, I've known Chris for close to 20 years, reflects the good old boy network that is precisely the reason there is such a disparity in employment opportunities for black coaches. Wow. And and making that even more significant, the fact that Rod Graves just a few weeks ago said he thought the Jaguars did all the right things in the hiring of Urban Meyer and Trent Baalke. And now all the wrong things, in the opinion of Rod Graves, in the hiring of Chris Doyle, Shereen. Yeah, first of all, Mike, Jacksonville absolutely knew what it was getting into when it hired Urban Meyer and gave him the keys to the organization, frankly. And this is a guy who had Zach Smith on his on his staff forever. And we know how that turned out for for Ohio State. And so now he's hired a friend who he did not work with at, at uh, Utah, as we first thought, as, it, as he made it sound in his statement yesterday. But he's hired his good friend to be the strength and conditioning coach. And, and what's going to be interesting to me is, does this turn free agents away from Jacksonville? They say, I don't want to come there because of this hiring. Is he eventually going to have to farm? Now, the draft, you don't have as much uh, say in where you go, obviously. But I am interested, Mike, if free agents turn their uh, cheek to the Jacksonville and say, we're not coming there with this hire of Chris Doyle. Would it be something if one of the players that they draft in any round says, I'll just yeah. sit the year out and re-enter the draft next year. I'm not going to go there and deal with that guy. What if there's somebody from Iowa that they draft who dealt with Chris Doyle, who was offended by or mistreated by Chris Doyle and says, no, I'm just not going to do it. Now, again, he denies it, but he got paid a significant amount to go away. Rod Graves has some strong allegations in his statement and Urban Meyer, as I said, learning that there will be far greater scrutiny at the NFL level than there was in Gainesville. I mean, you're the emperor of Gainesville when you're the head coach at the University of Florida and your team is winning. No one is going to question you. No one is going to scrutinize you. No one is going to investigate whether or to what extent you're harboring players on your team who have antisocial tendencies that they may be acting upon. And Aaron Hernandez, say no more than him and whatever it was that he may have been doing down there that no one was looking into at Ohio State, the, the various things that occurred. The assistant coach there, the thing that led to a brief suspension of Urban Meyer in his final year with the team. And it's only going to be worse. And Shereen, the next item I'm going to post at PFT as soon as we're done tonight, because someone told me about this earlier today. It wasn't addressed in the Rod Graves statement, but Urban Meyer said, he said that he was with Chris Doyle 20 years ago at the University of Utah where Meyer was the head coach and Doyle was the top strength coach. And that's just wrong. It's factually incorrect. Their paths did not overlap 
at the University of Utah. I don't know what defect there is that causes someone. Now, maybe he honestly and genuinely misremembers, but my God, that it seemed like I remember people that I worked with 20 years ago. I know who I did work with. I know who I didn't work with. And you you develop relationships. You know, it's an intense setting. You're around each other all the time. If they never actually worked together at the University of Utah, you would think that's something he would remember. Well, and I think what Urban Meyer is finding out and going to quickly find out, as you said, first of all, the media, because kudos to the Jacksonville media for asking the questions that they that they asked yesterday. They were hard questions, and they were on him, and it wasn't just one question. It was multiple questions. So kudos to the Jacksonville media for sticking in there and asking those hard questions. But second of all, they're going to find out that players aren't going to put up with some of the stuff that, that Chris Doyle did at Iowa and got away with. That's not gonna. That's not gonna fly in the NFL, and it's gonna be over in a hurry. And like I said, free agents probably won't go there. But p- current players on Jacksonville aren't gonna put up with that either, Mike. It's just not going to happen. This is a different league than college football. It's it's way different, and things are going to be different uh, for Urban Meyer in the NFL. And if he hasn't figured that out already, he probably will. And. I'm sure that Chris Doyle was very good at his job. I mean, he stayed for 20 years for a guy, for a head coach who's been mentioned for head coaching jobs in the NFL for a really long time. I'm sure he was good at his job. There are a lot of strength and conditioning coaches out there, Mike, who are really good at what they do, and there would have been better hires for Jacksonville that wouldn't have brought this scrutiny with him to the team. And here's the difference when you're in Gainesville and it's reporters from the Gainesville Sun and they start asking you questions you don't like. You dress them down during the press conference. You grab them afterward and you say you're going to revoke their credentials. You start calling the editor. I'm not saying any of this is right. I'm just saying this is what happens when you're the king of a college football program. You don't get questioned the way that you get questioned when you're the head of an NFL program because there are things you can do when people ask you questions you don't like. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's different. And I'm not saying he ever did it in Gainesville. Maybe he never had to do it. Maybe that's part of the privilege. The reporters know if I start asking the head of the football program at the University of Florida tough questions, I'm going to be covering middle school baseball before you know it. So uh, that, that, that fear is not shared by the press corps in Jacksonville or by the folks who cover the NFL nationally. And hey, that hey, we may never get Urban Meyer on the program. We got to call it like we see it. And if somebody's saying something that isn't true, you know we're going to point that out. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, we'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFTPM by opening up the mailbag. We'll be back with more right after this. Let's touch now on the second absurd and conflated allegation in the House manager's single article. President Trump's phone call to Georgia Secretary of State Ben Roethlisberger surreptitiously recorded. I was watching that live and I did a double take. It would have been a spit take if I'd had any liquid in my mouth. And I immediately texted the PFT writer text string. Did that guy just say Ben Roethlisberger? And it was kind of Ben 
Rothenberger, like he mashed up the last name. It's Brad Raffenberger. It became Ben Roethlisberger or something like Roethlisberger. So, no, we don't know for sure whether or not Ben Roethlisberger is going to play for the Steelers this year. It looks like he will. He's yet to speak to the team officially about his contract, but he's not the Georgia Secretary of State. We can <laughs> we can have com- there are not Confirm. many things in the world of politics that we can be confident about, Shereen. We can be confident that Roethlisberger is not the Secretary of State of Georgia. Well, let's hope he's not Mike anyway. Well, it would be an interesting turn for him. I never thought that he'd be a guy who'd land in politics. One of his teammates retiring today, Marquise Pouncey. Question from Nayata Thomas. Were Marquise and Mike Pouncey the best twins in NFL history? Shereen, your thoughts? Well, I went back and looked, Mike, and they rank right up there. And I think they, they're all modern that, that I think rank right up there in NFL history. Marquise and Mike... Uh, combined for 13 Pro Bowls and two All-Pros, I would rank the Barbers ahead of them. Rondé and Tiki. Rondé was a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, they combined for eight Pro Bowls and four All-Pros. And, and I'd put Devin and Jason McCourty right up there with them, too. Yeah, you know, Marquise has a chance to get in the Hall of Fame. Nine Pro Bowls, three first-team yeah, All-Pros, which are significant. Was I don't know if he was on the team of the decade. You you, you know that? Was he was he on the, the, the I team? I believe he was, the, yep. The All-Decade team? I think, I think that's going to help him get in. Uh, no Super Bowl yeah. wins, but a Super Bowl appearance in his rookie year. So I think he's got a chance to get in just like Rondé does. And Tiki would have a better chance long-term than Mike. I don't think Mike's ever getting in. He's got three Pro Bowls right. to his name. But it's a pretty good set of twins. The exact same position, the exact same number. Two different teams, though, obviously, throughout the course of their careers. One more quick question. Gong Show West. And this is an important question as it relates to NFL ownership. As the captain of the sinking ship known as the Houston Texans, is Cal McNair a cautionary tale to the NFL on what the approval criteria should be for a team owner? This is a great question, Shereen, because once your dad gets in – and the team yeah. goes to you, there's no approval process that I know of. I'm going to look into this, but I don't think that anytime there's an inheritance of a team, once a family owns it, you don't have to go through any scrutiny. You don't have to go through any minimal qualifications. You just take over. And that's the thing that I love about the NFL. And I don't love it because I think it's great. I love it because I think it's fascinating. All the money that's put into football operations and the teams are ultimately run by a series of monarchies where it goes to this child, it goes to that child, it goes to that sibling, and they may not know a damn thing about running a football team. Yeah, exactly right, Mike. And I assume right now that Janice would probably be listed as the owner, Bob McNair's wife, and Cal is running the team because I don't think he actually has the owner title, but he certainly is running the team and representing the McNair family. And it is funny how these things work, you know, here in Dallas when, when Jerry's gone, and let's hope it's a long time before he's gone because he's great for the NFL, but once Jerry's gone, you know, I imagine that the kids will run the show with Stephen uh, being the voice of the team, but Charlotte will have a say and Jerry Jr. will have a say, and it's just kind of passed down uh, for most teams. You see the Broncos and what they're going through, but normally these things just go down the, the line and the next generation takes over, Mike. Important point to keep in mind, and I'm not going to go too deep into the rabbit hole, but the estate tax issue becomes critical, and yeah. the smart teams will will finagle the ownership percentages to try to minimize the amount that the patriarch or matriarch hold at the time of the passing because there have been teams that have been sold in the past. I think of Washington when Jack Kent Cook passed. 
the Dolphins, when Joe Robbie died, you don't have the revenue, you don't have the money, you don't have the cash to pay the estate taxes and also run and hold the team. So that's a very real thing. All right, Shereen, uh, try to stay warm, try to stay dry. Snow in Texas yeah. means hide under the bed and wait for it to all melt. Everybody, stay safe this weekend. Find something to do. There's no football, but we'll be back on Monday with more PFTPM. PM.